It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the underprepared Daniel Cormier to my well-researched Dominic Cruz, Nick Braccia. How are you, my friend? I'm, uh, I'm devouring Popeye's chicken with exactly the same uh, Forever. Uh, vor- voraciousness as, uh, <laughs> as, one, as one DC. Um, yeah, uh, the other DC, Dominic Cruz, uh, put him on blast. It's if you haven't watched the, the videos yet or followed up on the story with Dominic Cruz, a day, you know, two days before he's fighting uh, Pedro Munoz, he's <laughs> taken the time to to troll and call out DC for not doing a very good job on commentary and saying that he actually mutes him. Um, it's Cormier absolutely hysterical, Nick, and blast so back. spot but it's, on. It's, it's some clarity because, the I mean, really... With the exception of Felder, who I think has been kind of holding his own, and I love I love Bisbing as a guy, and he's he can be quite good too, and I love Cormier, but they they all do seem like they're a bit overworked and haven't really been putting in the time for the last few months because <laughs> they're all over the place and get stuff wrong pretty pretty consistently more than in any other sport professional sport I uh, I watch um, they they seem a bit amateurish uh, compared to the level of analysis and accuracy that one might expect. Well, I will say this. I think that Bisping has made a lot of improvements. Bisping was what oh, Daniel yeah. Cormier is today, probably about anywhere from six to, to year six to 18 months ago, where he just kind of said stupid, really silly, stupid things. Sometimes Bisping nowadays gets, is very, get a little too comfortable on the mic where like he treats it like his podcast where he just starts like discussing the fact that he, I don't know, goes to the specific barbershop or, or Daniel Cormier talks about how he has multiple barbershops, like, like some amateur shit, especially from Cormier. He just blurts shit out. Like, like, you know, his technique is not quite up to par, but he has to stay true to himself. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like Daniel Cormier does. He just like comes in and does the job and moves on. He has his TV show gig. He has his wrestling team that he coaches. Uh, might still be involved with, uh, American Kickboxing Academy. He's obviously got his UFC commentator uh, gig as well. So yeah, he probably doesn't doesn't do his research. And he's got two. And he's got two kids. And he's got at least two kids. I I, I think he might have a third one now. And he might. And he's you could you know you could tell he I get the sense he's a guy who doesn't phone in fatherhood. Like he's I, I get the it. sense he's a good. A so good so dad. you're saying dad, that uh, you know. he doesn't phone in fatherhood, but he phones in his UFC uh, announcing gig. I, I think that's reasonable. I think to that conclude. listen. I, I think that he's likable and an, he has an amicable presence and he's got a good voice and his excitement is contagious and that the and the UFC for the bulk of their fans care more about that than they do about uh, technical commentary. Oh, the UFC loves Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier could do anything and the UFC will still pay him more than they'll pay anybody else. Like they just love the guy. They really like the guy. He's willing to do whatever they say. He is willing to spread propaganda for them about fighter pay and any issue involving Dana, like the UFC or Dana White versus anyone else. He always sides consistently on the Dana White UFC side. He's a brown noser, right? Like he, he's a company, he's a company man. That's yeah. That's, that's another way to put it, but he's willing to betray every other fighter when it comes to fighter pay and all these issues uh, in order just to suck up to the UFC. He will push the new UFC narrative 
uh, whatever it takes. So it makes sense why the UFC likes him. These are the reasons I'm not the biggest fan of him. I know he's likable. He's 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 an interesting guy. He's an amicable guy. He is fun to listen to, especially when his personality's on. But he doesn't really do his research. He kind of phones it in like Joe Rogan does, where it's like Joe Rogan or or Boss Rutten or Daniel Cormier when they watch a fight, they're like, oh, I I wonder if he usually throws that. Whereas a guy like Dominic Cruz when he's announcing uh, will say he loves to throw that kick and it always is set up by the left hand. Like he'll give you details of what the tendencies of this fighter are uh, is and uh, it's funny that Daniel Cormier and his response to Dominic Cruz you know at least admitted that at some point at least he used to pay a guy to do the research for him and Dom Cruz was like so you didn't watch tape like Dom Cruz just went at him it was hysterical absolutely loved it thank you Dom uh, I used to think Nick that like these moments for Dom Cruz leading up to a fight where he just like calls out the wrong person and like talks shit about somebody he's not facing was like a bad thing for him but the guy is consistently throughout his career had a chip on his shoulder it seems to work for him somehow and he still is able to execute more often than not he's just fighting a really really tough uh, opponent at this point in his career in my opinion in uh, Pedro Munoz Nikolai last weekend you thought that uh, Brad Riddell would take on Rafael Fiziev you thought that Rob Font would beat Jose Aldo you thought that Jimmy Crute would beat Jamal Hill and Nick, oh oh, Nick, oh whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Do you really despite want to play the fact this game? the fact despite the fact that I agreed on two of those if only very 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 slightly Nick <laughs> Jose Aldo put in a goddamned performance I I you know I talked last week about how Jose Aldo has the much better grappling game and even though Rob Font has a good getup game he doesn't have the best defensive wrestling and I thought that Jose Aldo had enough technique and he's really good on the ground enough technique to control Rob Font on the ground and that was the case I thought that Jose Aldo's power and and just the fact that he could handle Rob Font's boxing that was the case now one thing that was interesting was I talked about how Rob Font needed to make Jose Aldo work really hard from early on and stay defensively minded to get Jose to actually tire, right? You got to make Jose work hard to tire. Otherwise, it's like that Pedro Munoz matchup where Jose actually threw more in the third round of that Pedro Munoz fight than he did in the first if you don't make him work. Rob Font came in with the intention of making him work. He was doing his damnedest, right? He was winning that first round pretty clearly just by... Oh yeah, just with the high output. But man, once Jose dropped that jab cross on him several times throughout the fight, I would say the jab cross of, of Jose, that quick one-two, was the single biggest factor in the fight because it kept turning the tide in his favor. I would say the fact that Rob Font kept going for takedowns, failing them, and then Jose Aldo ended up getting up on top was another big factor because Jose Aldo, Aldo's control is certainly good enough to control Rob Font. And those leg kicks in the middle of the fight uh, where Pedernera suddenly told Jose Aldo to start throwing them, and man, he looked like vintage Aldo for just a little bit there, but obviously his hands have improved a lot. His power's bigger. He's a bigger man in this division than he was at 145 versus his opposition, Nick. So really, really cool stuff to see. Jose Aldo still still working on all cylinders. He had to kind of take some time off in top position. He wasn't really going for, for serious damage or the finish, but he looked great, man. He really did. I mean, that first round, he was making me look like a genius, but I think Font kind of... You know, he shot his shot, and that was, uh, you know, he, he really the momentum shifted. He 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 tried to reclaim it. He fought with heart the rest of the fight, but after that that flash knockdown at the end of the at the end of the first round, um, Font was never never really in control again. And Aldo just had the more complete game, and he used all aspects of it. And he managed his gas tank okay. He was very tired. Uh, he was he was tired in the fourth and fought through it, and he was exhausted in the fifth. But he was still. You know, he was still able to do it, and Font, you know, whether, I mean, he, I don't want to say he was tentative, because I think Font did fight with urgency in the fifth, um, but I don't think he had a, he didn't have enough left to, 
um, to, to get the finish that he needed. It's no. I just I, I I still am not certain about Aldo against the you know the Dillashaws, the Yans, the Sanhagens, the Zahudos. Um, but we're gonna find out because he's gonna I mean he's gonna be fighting one of those guys soon. It's interesting you mentioned some of those names, uh, Nick, and I'm starting to realize that there is there's kind of two tiers of bantamweights, it seems like, and, and I think it's the same thing for lightweight, where there's kind of a new generation and an older generation. We have guys like TJ Dillashaw, guys like, uh, uh, who was it, Gordy, Cody Garbrandt, right? Pedro Munoz, Dominic Cruz, part of the old generation, Rafael Sunsau, Frankie Edgar, right? These are part of the old generation of of the guys that have been at the top of either this division or, you know, a division close to it with guys like Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo. And then you have guys like Piotr Jan, Corey Sanhagen, part of the new kind of uh, uh, generation, right? Mirab Devashvili is another one. Um, Marlon Marais, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Marlon Vera could be argued as one of those guys. Uh, you know, these guys that are kind of on the come up, they're a new generation, right? Piotr Jan has a different fucking power level from guys like TJ Dillon. Shaw. Guys like uh, guys like Cody Garbrandt, right? He has a different like um, his combination of being extremely durable and and just having this this insane output is really hard to deal with with anyone. I realize he's the best of like the best clearly in the world at this division, but there is kind of a there is an interesting divide there where we're seeing the old guard kind of starting to pass by us. And Jose Aldo held on, man. Rob you, Font was not put together can, well can enough. Can I just mention something, Sam? We just huh? had this conversation about the division, and neither you nor I brought up the champion. I know. I was looking at him as I was talking about this. You're not kidding. And to be fair, I haven't let you speak on the subject yet, so let me know what your thoughts are, bud. I'm just like, he, we don't really consider him that much in, you know, all that in the picture. He had that big win against Sanhagen, which was great, but then he, you know, he didn't look so good against Jan, but he's in, uh, but he's, he's in the, ma- I mean, he's the champion. Like, we need to consider him up with these top four or five guys like yeah i mean hopefully he fights hopefully he fights jan soon uh yeah i i hope so too it, he's in such a weird place and honestly his like best case scenario uh, for the record i think jose aldo would i mean on paper he should be able to get through him in three or so rounds right i, I tend to think he might even be able to finish uh aljamain sterling at this point in his career um i'd like know. to see that fight i mean i'd like yeah. to see aljo against any of these guys well, that's the thing. If if I was Aljo, he's in such a weird position where he could like call out somebody outside of the champ. He's you know not super likely to do too well against Piotr Jan in a in a rematch, right? You but, mean outside? You mean outside of the interim champ? But he's got to. There's an interim title and a title. You can't have them exist. Co- like yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Piotr Jan getting that interim strap certainly put him in a position to where Sterling has absolutely no like he has no choice really. He can't go around this. The UFC believes that Piotr Jan is the champion. He was announced as the actual champion when he won the interim belt over Corey Sanhagen. So it is it's such a weird thing for Aljamain Sterling. It's almost better for him if he lost the competitive decision to Piotr Jan than if he won in that way. But man, he gets to hold that title. I'm sure the same opportunities aren't coming his way. But he's still he he will forever be called bantamweight champion even if he gets smashed in a rematch with Jan. Uh, Nikolai, let's uh, let, let's talk about uh, a couple of the other fights worth mentioning on this card. What were your thoughts on Rafael Fazia versus Brad Riddell, man? Phenomenal matchup. Yeah, it was good. I mean, Riddell came in really thick, like heavily muscled, and I don't know if that ended up playing to his uh, benefit. He did, um, you know, he, he was turning to the wrestling game. I did say before the fight that I thought he had the, the slightly more well-rounded um, MMA game, but these guys were throwing, you know, brutal body shots. They were both quite fast. Fiziev was probably landing with more damage. 
well, he was he was marked up a bit, and you know he had uh, he missed he missed the wheel kick by like centimeters early in the fight to the point where Riddell even like responded to it with a whoof like yeah. kind of like motion, and it looked like he just Fiziev just kind of caught him between a motion and a step, and he. He yeah he he ate the kick and you know not I guess I wouldn't call it a questionable stoppage he didn't go down but he was uh, he was seriously dazed and shot for a takedown but he, I think it was clear after the fight was stopped um, yeah it was listen this was two this was two gunmen at high noon and after a lot of strategic uh, a lot of strategic fighting um, and and some landing some big blows uh fizzy have got the kill shot i just i think i don't think there's much more to it than that i think i think there's quite a bit more to it it seemed to me like uh. fizzy w- like what we expected what i expected from him was a really good first round because he can't really help going 100 percent, and he can't help just seemingly can't help throwing just so much um offense out there that he tends to slow down even though he's not like exhausted and not throwing much less he tends to slow down by that third round right but he's got insane conditioning to be able to explode as he does for that you know seven to ten minute area uh, the, uh where he normally does in the first two rounds but here's the thing it seems like there was a major difference in Fazia for this matchup i don't know if it's the fact that he trained with him i would tend to think it's more because he's been training with henry hoof and the crew in sanford mma he came in more patient Faziev was pacing himself instead of just throwing non-stop offense and giving riddell counter opportunities right he was staying extremely patient, waiting for uh, moments to explode. He would explode and then relax for a bit. He would explode, use his footwork to reset, right? He he didn't just keep throwing offense nonstop, which would make him slow down to some extent in that third round as we saw against Bobby Green, right? So it seemed to me like he was the faster man. It seemed to me like technique-wise, they were probably not far apart, but Riddell just wasn't able to keep up with the speed. It seemed like Riddell was pretty aggressive early, won the first, I think, two or three minutes, uh, I would say minute and a half, two minutes of that first round, but then Fazeev started to put it all together, man. His speed was on another level, right? He was able to counter Riddell fairly consistently. He basically would throw the first shot, Riddell would counter, and he would answer, and he would finish, right? So he would get the first word in and the last word in more often than not. I thought he clearly won the first two rounds before buttoning it up in the third, and he was doing fascinating things man he would end the combo with a left head kick instead of like instead of like like a jab or a left hook right instead of putting himself in a safe position with the left hand he would put himself at the end of a combo in a safe position with a head kick man it was ridiculous stuff um his his ability uh to like i always tell students and and fighters that i've worked with or, or trained with that if you're circling in a certain direction you have to be very mindful of offense from that direction right so if you're circling to your right toward your opponent's left you have to be wary of strikes coming from your right side because you're circling into them, so you're adding power into them, right? It often is a left hook, could be a left, uh, let's say, body kick or leg kick, could be a spin, a spinning fist or a spinning back kick uh, or a spinning heel kick in this case, right? And Riddell wasn't minding that. Riddell, who's so technical, who's super experienced, who's beaten some extremely high-level kickboxers in his career, right? Did not see that coming. That little that that flaw really cost him uh, the ability, at least, to survive to a decision in this matchup. But man, uh, as soon as he started circling to his right and he had his hand in the wrong position, Fiziev just fired. Fiziev talked about it after the fight too. How he knows 
based on having trained together, he knows that when he circles, he forgets about the offense that can come from that side. And that's exactly what Fiziev took advantage of, man. Extremely impressive stuff. Fiziev, like, has, I mean, he's championship material. He's certainly top five material. And I think he's probably going to end up uh, in that top five range. He's kind of part of the new guard of this uh, lightweights that are going to hopefully, as they get matched up with guys like Poirier uh, and and uh, and all these guys that have kind of been entrenched at the top of the division, hopefully they can start to take over in the near future, man. Really impressive stuff. And it's a shame for Bradley Chandler, Bell, man. You know, it is, but he'll, he'll bounce back. And, yep. um, F- um, Fiziev Chandler, yeah, I'm all Fiziev. about it, Nick. Let's give Chandler another loss. Fiz- Let's Fiz- give Fiziev a big win. F- Fiziev McGregor would be fun, but... Uh, we won't see yeah. that. Um, no, I, I don't think McGregor would have anything to do with that. Uh, I mean, that was, it's also I like say, a that low... Was some, that was uh-huh. some Dominic Cruz-like analysis from you and some Daniel Cormier commentary from me. So <laughs> um, That's very funny, Nick. Um, so Jamal so, Hill, man, Jimmy Crute, man, everybody was doubting Jamal Hill after he lost by submission uh, in his last matchup against Paul Craig. Dude came in here, man, I talked about how much I like this guy, how he has a process. He's extremely skilled, extremely athletic, very fast. Um, he's got a lot of those intangibles. And on top of that, he's got the high-level skill standing. Good takedown defense, gets up quickly. Uh, but I doubted him against Crute. Man, I, I ended up, I think you picked him relatively early on. You picked Jimmy Crute. And I remember saying, like, I'm surprised that you're picking this this early. And I guess I'll I'll agree with you. Man, I was I was so hoping Jamal Hill will come through. And he did, man. He just smashed Jimmy Crute. Nick, he landed, like, three or four strikes. And he broke his nose. He broke his orbital bone. Shut his eye, like... He did insane damage in those few seconds, and it was with his uh, uh, with his lead hook, with his right hook from that southpaw stance, man. Extremely impressive. That check hook, Nick, is becoming a bigger and bigger storyline in MMA as the sport continues to develop. The jab has been a bigger factor. The low leg kicks have you know been on and off coming in and out of there, and that check hook, I think, is the biggest difference maker over the last like year, year and a half, Nick. People are finishing fights with it. It's making a huge difference in the sport. I agree. We had um, a vintage Clay Guida performance, flashes of his bout with Diego Sanchez all those years ago, where he took a complete shellacking from Leonardo Santos in the first round. Could have, in theory, been stopped. Santos had nothing left, um, and Guida's got gas tank forever. So he was able to uh, prove the world wrong uh, and snag a choke against a, a very accomplished BJJ black belt. We had, in a fight that I, pre- in a, uh, an outcome that I predicted, uh, Chris Curtis uh, riding high following his knockout of Phil Hawes just a couple of weeks ago came in and did the same thing again to Brendan Allen. Do we have the next Hazmat Shemaev on our hands? Uh, definitely. <laughs> I wouldn't say he's a. I wouldn't say he's a Shemaev, but man, he's a guy that's easy to root for. Just got this positive attitude. Used to be a journeyman, right? Now he's riding a what is it? Six uh, and zero this year. Seven six and zero. Seven fight winning streak. Or six seven, and zero just this year. That's unbelievable, Nick. Yeah, man. Um, here's yeah, he's. He's a guy that, I mean, if you look back at 2019 on a three-fight losing streak in the PFL, granted it's to the best the PFL has to offer, it also kind of shows you, like, a lot of these guys that we consider to be top 10, top 15 quality in the UFC, like, you got to wonder how would they stand up to some of the best in the PFL. Like, they really do have some serious talent that consistently win despite their tournament structure. Uh, But in any case, man... Uh, Chris Curtis looked really good, man. He talked about how, you know, don't call me a journeyman anymore. I'm sure that's an insecurity of his, but he looked really good, has excellent hands, really good body shots, man. And Brendan Allen was just too hittable. Um, I talked about how he lost against um, uh, Sean Strickland. 
And, because, and I thought it was because he was overwhelmed with uh, with strikes, just so much offense. It wasn't much dissimilar. Chris Curtis, after all, is on the same uh, team as Sean Strickland. But, man, Chris Curtis, between those body shots, was able to exhaust him. And the high output, once he got him tagged, man, he just put it on him with a big combo, finished the fight. Extremely impressive stuff, Nick. I, I have nothing uh, bad to say about that performance, man. Uh, super, super cool stuff. I do want to quickly talk about some of the bet recommendations that I had uh, for this event, Nick. I uh, the, the ones that whiffed on me were Darion Weeks and uh, Chris Gritzmeicher. Those did not, uh, obviously did not pan out for me. Uh, some of the ones that I did suggest that worked out were uh, Dusko Todorovic, Alex Morono I suggested uh, in, in some sort of a betting situation. I suggested Jose Aldo bet since, man, plus money on Jose Aldo in that matchup. I saw I saw all the positives of that in the world. So definitely more winning bet suggestions than losing on this last event. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with that. Nikolai, anything else to discuss from this card, uh, or should we move yeah, well, on we to went, We went three and three against one another, I suppose. And then also... I was I was going to call it that I was correct in predicting uh, that William Knight would defeat Alonzo Manifield, even though you pushed back on me violently about that. Just to, <laughs> wanted to let you know that I remain an, an expert uh, William Knight fight predictor. Uh, fair, fair enough. True. Although, although you, 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 did, you did get his loss pretty. Uh, you, you were pretty confident. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a future. <laughs> well, I'm for, a, I'm for a, the for the record, though, I listen. I, I always value damage over control if it happens in one round, but. All of MMA decisions had that fight scored for Menifield. It seemed like everybody but those three judges. Part of the conspiracy. It's a conspiracy against William Knight. (laughs) Is it really? It's because my boy, my boy from Connecticut. They don't want a Connecticut fighter. They they were like, "Oh shit!" They got you got you got Glover Teixeira with a strap. You got the Connecticut guys are taking over the UFC. They can't stay. They can't handle it, man. That is that is pretty funny. Along with uh, Alex. Alex Pereira, I think, whatever that gentleman's name is, who uh, previously knocked out Israel Adesanya in glory. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's look, it's it's uh, it, it is pretty cool stuff. He he's a fascinating character. Um, William Knight is like Manyfield's like if you ever see an interview with him, he's really boring. And even though he's a pretty exciting fighter, like William Knight is is just a fucking character, man. Like you you are enthralled by him once he starts talking. Not unlike Ronda Rousey a little bit. Like he's a character, man. Um, and he's got a lot of raw talent. He showed some improvement, right? I didn't see a whole lot of improvement in his prior few fights. I did see some in this one, which is a good sign for him. Um, I, I hope to I hope to see more of those positives. But again, most people still think he lost this fight. But good on him for picking up that victory. Nicholas, should we uh, should we take a break? Come back and uh, break down UFC 269, Oliveira versus Poirier. We buried the lead here. Amanda Nunes is, Nunes is competing. Garbrandt's on the card. O'Malley. We've got Dominic Cruz. Josh Emmett is coming back. I, I know. I, I know that some of this isn't exactly like uh, Conor McGregor level names, but some really exciting matchups, man. Some high level MMA coming up for us this weekend. Let's do it. Back on the MMA Geeks podcast for the MMA Geeks draft. Nick and I take turns picking fighters, competing on the upcoming card. At the end of Saturday night, we tally up all the numbers. Uh, Correct pick is worth one point. If you pick an underdog of plus 150 or above, that is worth two points successfully, of course. Uh, As of now, Nick, I'm still 10 points ahead of you. You're slowly closing the gap very, very slowly. 126 of my points to 116 of yours after we each picked up three points on that last card. Nick, I'm really glad that I prevented you from scoring two points 
on that Curtis fight. Yeah, I'm, uh, Chris Curtis, man, that would have been bad for me. You would have definitely won the card had that happened. So uh, I'm kind of glad I got that one wrong before you got it right. What you got, yeah, bud? Did, well, if, you would, if we had done all of our picks, but we slipped down to... Anyway, we don't have to talk about how I actually won the card. Um, listen, <laughs> the first pick on this one's going to be fairly obvious. I think anyone would be an idiot if they didn't take it. Amanda Nunes over Juliana Pena. Yes, Pena's a good wrestler. Yes, yeah, she's got some, I think, some self-belief. Um, but come on. <laughs> like, what if, great breakdown what, but what come on <laughs> what it, what is she gonna what is she gonna do what is she gonna bring to the table that amanda nunez has not squashed um the fight starts on the feet i think pena is kind of hittable i think nunez is nunez is gonna land she's got she uses range great she's got great um reach she hits she hits like a truck her takedown defense uh, is pre, is pre, it's not a flaw like it's not it's not a flaw like pena might get some takedowns but so of other people, like over five rounds, Amanda Nunez is going to hurt you, um, unless you in, unless you're like you keep unless you're you know Shevchenko and are like brilliant at keeping distance, and you're still going to get hit a bunch and hurt if you're that. And Juliana Pena um, is no is no Valentina Shevchenko. I don't think that she can turn this into a lay and pray victory. I just don't. I think. I think I think Nunez probably gets her out of there in, in two or three rounds, um, by probably by ground and pound after landing something big on the feet that just cripples her. She may just to piss everybody off. Um, you know, she may hurt her and then choke her out, just <laughs> just just to like you know shut up shut up uh, wrestlers around the world. Um, but yeah, I think I think Amanda Nunez. Uh, I think this if this if this upset happens, it's like a Buster Douglas Tyson level upset. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I don't see this upset happening either. Nunez is like you said, she's big, she's fast, she's powerful. She's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, right? She's on a twelve five fight winning streak. Juliana Pena has a good top game and she can be aggressive and she's two and two in her last four fights. Like it's simply a mismatch. I think Nunez wins however she wants to. She either storms through her in the first round or she dominates to the fifth round and either finishes late or, you know, scores a just a lopsided decision. I, I hope I hope she goes for the finish because watching her, you know, take down Jermaine Durand to me 18 times over the course of five rounds isn't like my idea of, of uh, a best-case scenario. She has the ability to finish these people. I hope she does. Uh, you know, it'll be cool to see the GOAT, but we're in a position now where she doesn't really have any legitimate opposition and best case scenarios for her to fight somebody who she's beaten twice in the Valentina Shevchenko, man. It, we're, we're in such a, such a weird spot in this division with her dominating it in it, quite frankly, not being an awesome division. Uh, so I'm in agreement with you there, Nikolai. Obviously this would have been my first pick had I had the opportunity. My first pick, I, I, I think I'm going to make this pick, even though I, I really kind of like the guy that I, uh, the, that I'm picking to lose this matchup. I'll, I'll be rooting against my pick. I'll, I'll be hoping that I get it uh, wrong. O'Malley is a big mountain bantamweight. Paiva just moved up from flyweight, so he's like a small guy at this division, right? O'Malley will be faster. He'll have a big reach advantage. He hits harder. Paiva has the grit and the conditioning to give him a hard time, I think, but the size and speed difference will be too much, I think, to overcome for Paiva. So I like Paiva. I, I, I hope I hope he gets this one, and uh, and I hope I'm wrong, but I've got Sean O'Malley. Um, if Paiva gets to that first round, man, if he starts landing leg kicks, he, he's got a good overall game. He's a really skilled guy. He's big time underrated he was a prospect of 125 in my eyes but the size difference and the speed man is i think uh, a little yeah, bit tough to deal with you 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 blocked me again i was going to do an underdog pick were you really um, so yep so thanks for that asshole is it just because you don't um, like sean o'malley or you you genuinely think uh, pipe has a good shot 
I think Pipe has got a good shot. I think O'Malley's. I think O'Malley's fragile. I think the fact that he couldn't put away the guy that they found on the street last time. Yeah, a former um, one twenty five or two. Good point. Yeah, yeah. There, just, there's. Uh, uh, the, the, I, you're right. You're I, right that Piva's worth. Piva's worth a bit of an investment, especially by decision. You probably get some pretty crazy odds on that. But at plus two sixty, there's an opportunity there. So the next fight I'm going to pick is not one that you would think I would pick at this stage, but I'm going to just based on recent events. Um, I'm going to pick Santiago Ponzinibbio to beat Joff Neal. Um, I'm worried that this the card might lose this fight. Joff Neal was arrested uh, last week or the week before. I think it was the. What was the charge? Hang on. It was a DUI, and then the, he also had a weapon with him. And I guess if you do any yeah. kind of crime and you have a registered weapon, that in itself becomes illegal. Uh, so even if it's a yeah, registered not, weapon. So, yeah. Not good. Ma- major, major distraction while you should be training, uh, training coming off of a loss, um, training to fight a, a ki- an absolute killer. Um, so like, and I, th- I think Ponzinibbio from an output perspective, uh, is going to be, was going to be busier anyway. I think, I think with Neil in the best of mindsets <clears throat> that this, that this, that that's a pick em fight. And I'm just like, momentum wise got guys who have been arrested for DUI two weeks before a main card pay-per-view fight. Eh, I'm not, I can't, I can't go with it. I just can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine that his, he's going to be fully focused in there. I, I, it's, I don't think it's possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it might be possible. Like the way his camp and his lawyer is talking about it is like, yeah, he had like a drink or something, and got pulled over, and it was made it a big deal of, and he took a blood test, and we're gonna wait till, for results of that blood test. There's no way that that blood test result is not back yet, right? Am I crazy? It's been weeks now. Like it sounds like just like a storyline uh-huh. to to give him to give him you know some cover. But it's a distraction. It it's fight. a major. It's a definitely. It's, everyone has everyone has distractions in life, but this is a public distraction where people are yeah. gonna have opinions about it, where people right. are gonna be yelling shit at him from the crowd, like. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. And he's going in. He's he, and he's going in there against a guy who who came back from uh, from adversity uh. after uh, you know after that that previous loss. Who who KO'd Ponsonibio again? Um, I think it was Li Jingliang. Yes, he had the Li Jingliang fight, um, and then he bounced back uh, against Miguel Baeza, a tough dude, uh, and won a won a really good fight. Uh, there, I mean, Baez has lost against against since, but Jeff Neal coming off that, I don't believe he's fought since the loss to Wonder Boy. I'm sorry, the lost. No, he lost to Wonder Boy, and then he lost to Neil Magny. Right. Like, See, yeah, that's, that's this, the thing. Like, there's ain't no the moment. It's just the vibes. The vibes are not in his favor right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. I actually, I actually placed a bet as soon as I heard about the news. I, I placed a quit bet on. Uh, Ponzinibbio, and I had him at plus money at the time. So here's the thing, right? Like, I agree with you. Up until two weeks ago, I, you know, I had a hard time figuring this matchup out. Joff Neal is extremely fast. He hits very hard. That left head kick, that left hand from Southpaw, they're serious, man. They're like really, really scary, dangerous techniques, and they work really well playing off of each other against like mid level UFC competition. Then recently he's on that two fight skid, as you mentioned, right? And like you got to wonder: is something going on in life co- coupled with this, with this, you know, DUI, or is it just like, you know, a guy had a had a half a beer at Thanksgiving and then took a drive and uh, you know drove home and and got into big yeah, trouble? You're not gonna you're not gonna pop off a half a beer. Well, if you got here's that much, the thing: if you got for here's what the possible, and you're probably right. You're maybe you're right, but here's the thing: 
if you've got a super low body fat, if you're an athlete, it's possible, right? Like the mugshot didn't look so good. Like he's usually very well groomed. He's usually very, very sharp looking. You look like a bit of a mess in that mugshot. So there is some concern, man. You're right. Like it's one or the other. I think because of that two fight skid that's coupled with the DUI, I think there's something going on in life. I think he's not in a good place. And for that reason, I agree with you. I think Ponzinibbio has the craft. He has the counter game. Here's the thing. Timing beats speed, especially when Speed spent the night in jail a couple of weeks ago. So I've got Ponzinibbio here. I'm on the same page with you, but Jesus, now who, now who's now who's given the the Daniel Cormier commentary? Anyway, Best line ever, Nikolai. I prepared which, for that. Which, I, I, I Nick, I spent hours hours pouring over tape Dude, to to come to that conclusion to that you got, one line. You got you have, you have, you have your daughter writing your material. Okay, good. If Next. my daughter wrote my material, my friend, we would have had the most successful podcast in MMA history, Nikolai. That's right. I'm one of those dads. So my next pick, Nick, is going to be. I think I've got to take Alex Perez to beat Matt Schnell. Matt Schnell is extremely fast. He's tall for the division, right? He's got really good grappling, uh, particularly from his back. Really good hands, but not the best chin. He tends to get into firefights where he has no business getting into firefights. His wrestling is not great, right? He keeps getting taken down and then catching submissions off his back against mid-level flyweights. Alex Perez is not a mid-level flyweight. I know that he was submitted by Davidson Figueredo. Maybe there's a hole there that Machinel could exploit, but um, I don't like his chance. Machinel is also faster, so like he has a shot. I think plus 260 has some value, but I like Alex Perez. I think he's going to be the more powerful. He's going to be the brutish guy. He's going to let kick the hell out of uh, his uh, calves. He's going to land uh, big shots when he does land on the feet. And more importantly, he can get top position and I think avoid getting submitted. Uh, so I like Alex Perez to beat Bachanel. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. Um, now I'm going to switch on to someone who's not going to be able to avoid getting submitted, uh, who is Derek Minner. Um, <laughs> listen, this is a guy who's been submitted by a lot of people who aren't Ryan Hall. And... I just think Ryan Hall is still he's still savvy. Um, he can I think he can strike enough, I guess if you want to call it that. And he's I just think I think Derek Minner's the kind of guy that he he taps with a knee bar in like the first two minutes of a fight. I just uh, I think this is I, I I think Derek Minner probably took this fight because he felt he wanted a challenge and wants to prove something to himself. Um, and I get it. I can understand going in there against a uh, a real limb snatcher and just wanting to wanting to see how you can do. But I I just think this is a fight. Ryan Hall wins ten out of ten times. Yeah, I don't know about ten out of ten times, but I, I tend to agree with you, Dark Minner. Like he's got the skill, both standing. He's got the power standing. He's got the grappling game offensively, right? But it seems like he gets tired at some point, especially if his opponent makes him work a bit. And once he gets tired, he panics and he's easy to submit. He's got a bunch of submission losses, even though he's a pretty solid offensive grappler overall. I think there's a big difference between Derek Minner's one UFC win, uh, the opponent that he fought his one UFC win, and Ryan Hall. I think Ryan Hall's going to keep it wacky and weird standing with his long-range long kicks, and then he's ready to flop to his back if he needs to, right? Will he make Derek Minner work really hard early? I don't know, but Derek Minner will usually just do it himself. The fact that he's trading under James Krause is a good sign. I think James Krause, if anybody, is somebody that can kind of bring to fruition Derek Minner's uh, potential, but I've got to go with Ryan Hall. I think Derek Minner can win this fight. I just don't think he will. I think I think his gas tank, his uh, lack of energy efficiency and and the fact that he just makes mistakes seems to panic when he gets tired is going to cost him um there's a big difference between a guy like Fiziev who gets tired and then just keeps trying 100 with 100 effort and a guy like Derek Minner a guy like uh Punel, uh not Soriano uh who, who was that guy from 
from the last card, Nick, who lost to uh, Maki Patolo, right, who just falls apart as soon as he gets tired. Mentally, there's a big divide there, and, and I like Ryan Hall for that reason. I'm on the same page with you. My next pick is going to be, I'm going to take... I'm going to take Bruno Silva to, to, to beat Jordan Wright. I think he's too big of a favorite, to be honest with you. I think the odds should be closer because Jordan Wright should be faster, should have better footwork standing, should have better overall striking. Um, has some power too, but Bruno Silva, on top of having power in his hands, not nearly as technical, I agree, but he can get top position, he can pound. He has nasty, nasty ground and pound. Basically, anywhere he's able to land punches, he can hurt people. Jordan Wright has been dropped a couple of times by being pressured to the fence and kind of finished there by big hitters. I could see Bruno Silva doing that despite the speed and technique overall disparity. So I like Bruno Silva to put the pressure on Jordan Wright and get him out of there. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, oh boy, I'm going to do it. I'm going to call the main event right now. Go for it, bud. Really, really, really interesting fight. I won't be surprised if I'm wrong, but I just think that Dustin Poirier is considerably more durable than uh, than Charlie Olives. Um, I also think Poirier is difficult to submit. Um, he's got good situational awareness. He keeps composure. He's very strong, um, and he he just. He hits hard, and he's a superior. I do think he's a superior boxer, and he's also better at throwing combinations. Oliveira is super creative, and he's a finisher, but I just think Poirier is going to crack him um, and put him in real trouble. And he's not. I don't think he's going to let him off the hook. Um, so I see. I think we get a. I think we get a Poirier finish by, but probably by ground and pound uh, in in this fight. Again, I won't be surprised if the underdog. Um, wins or if Poirier ends up in a couple of really really scary positions leading up to it I just think I've got I've got to pick the more proven durable uh fighter here again versus the guy that almost got knocked out in the fight that he where he won the title so there's a lot of talk I feel like everybody is picking Dustin Poirier I haven't seen a single person pick Charles Oliveira I think there's a couple of elements to it, including just like the likability factor, the fact that Poirier is an American. Like DC, he's really well loved by by the American fans, um, by by American fighters even, right? Like uh, analysts, they, they all like the guy. He's a, he's a good, likable dude. He's vanquished Conor McGregor twice. There's a big likability to that since Conor McGregor is kind of a heel. And he's just a good family guy, right? But Oliveira is not far off in a lot of those categories. If you compare their records, right? I think, like, look at Poirier's recent success, right? The Max Holloway win, absolutely incredible, fantastic, extremely impressive. Granted, against a smaller man, but extremely impressive. That's a win that you cannot argue with in any situation. But Dan Hooker, man, had an extremely hard time with Dan Hooker, was taken down multiple times then by Dan Hooker, was controlled by Dan Hooker. Even when Dan Hooker was tired, he took him down. And Dan Hooker was exhausted for the last 10 minutes of their fight, right? Um Conor McGregor is not an elite fighter anymore. He he hasn't been in a long time. He hasn't been winning in a while. And he gets so much credit as the best lightweight on the planet now with Khabib retired. Poirier does because he beat Conor McGregor. It's Conor McGregor. He's not an elite fighter anymore. And 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 so, like, like again, the hard time that he had with a guy like Dan Hooker, the hard time that he had with a guy like Eddie Alvarez. And I know they're rematched, but even that first match, argument could be made that Alvarez almost had him out of there. I know he has a lot of heart, but I don't think his wins are as impressive as uh, as people make them out to be versus Oliveira's. So you don't resume. you don't val- you you think that the size disparity really is what drove the Max fight? No, I, he I, beat the I shit, think he beat the shit out of Max Holloway. 
I wouldn't say he beat the shit out of him. I, I would say he stayed I a would. step or two ahead <laughs> of him at all times. The way you're putting it, it sounds like it's just a one-sided beating. I don't think it was that dominant. He was he was ahead most of the time, don't get me wrong. Um, and he was the bigger man who was landing the hardest shots. Max Holloway, with his lack of power, I think, had a lot of had a lot of issue doing a whole lot to uh to Poirier. But we have to talk about the power that Oliveira has. Like he's got extreme speed with his hands. He's a taller man in this matchup, right? He's got more weapons standing. He's got nasty knees. He's got excellent kicks, really good hands at range, right? He likes to pop you and keep you at range at the end of his punches. Um, and also, you have to give some credit to him. Like, everybody talks about how he just, like, dies out as soon as things get tough for him. I mean, it hasn't been the case in a long, long time, right? He went through that winning streak yeah. through guys no, like... It, ha- it hasn't, but his, but his chin gets checked hard, and he's got, like, he gets hit on the butt, and he goes down. Poirier does not. Uh, Poirier has though, right? Like he, and when? it's usually when, when was Poirier, the, when was when was the last time Poirier really like hit the deck? Michael Johnson, like, Michael Johnson. Granted, this was okay. back in 2016, was, but but dude, Dan Hooker like buzzed him several times in their fight. Oh, Dan Dan, Dan Hooker, Hooker Dan Hooker won, but he never but he never lost his composure, and he yes. he never he, against an exhausted like, Dan Hooker, he was able to just run away with it toward the end of the fight, right? But if Dan Hooker hadn't been exhausted, granted the damage Hooker was taking was a factor, but if Dan Hooker hadn't been exhausted, Dan Hooker was dominated by Islam Makachev, dominated by Michael Chandler, dominated by Edson Barboza, had a back and forth fucking war with Dustin Poirier, just like one opponent. Yeah, ago. it surprised us, but but I mean. So, like, that kind of yeah. thing worries me is, is, I guess, what I'm saying. Well, I agree yeah, that, yeah. And, and let's face it, Dustin Poirier, in almost all of his losses, the man has been finished. Like, he's he, he's he's not like a, like, he's tough, don't get me wrong, and, and, and he will fight through and persevere through shit, but his opponent's got to have some kind of a hole. And to be fair, there's a chance that Olivera will be tired. He looked tired at the end of that Kevin Lee fight when he caught that submission. He looked like he was starting to break a little bit, to be fair. But, I mean... The argument could be made. He could have broken against Michael Chandler. And also that Michael Chandler first round, right? If you watch the first round, Oliveira clearly won, clearly won by far the first half of that round. And then Chandler ended up buzzing him, ended up getting that top position. And like Chandler had like a good minute, maybe 45 seconds from top position. Outside of that, Chandler was just kind of laying in top position at the end of that round. So it wasn't like he was getting dominated from pillar to post. He got caught. He no, survived. He got, he got knocked silly. Yeah. Um, Nick, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If the, he was a slightly bigger underdog, I would have picked Oliveira, if only for the value, if only because there's not a yeah. whole lot of risk in picking. Like, this is a super close matchup to me. It really it's is. A compelling, it's, a very, it's a compelling fight. I just, I just, I really, I just, I, 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 I don't, I don't blame me for your thinking. Chin. I don't. I don't blame you for where you're coming from, but again, Oliveira was tagged by Michael Chandler. Man, Michael Chandler hits incredibly hard. He has a higher knockdown rate for, in the first round, specifically, than Poirier does overall. I I, I believe, and, and I'd like to see the stats. But Chandler is extremely fast and explosive early, um, and it wasn't like the worst knockdown in history. Look, there's a fair chance that uh, that late in the fight after having a really hard time for, for a couple of rounds that Poirier just takes over and smashes him and just overwhelms him with offense. He's got the style to do it. There's an excellent chance of that, but I think there's a decent chance that in the first two rounds, Oliveira finishes the guy. There's a chance he does it on the ground. There's a yeah. chance he does it on the feet. Uh, granted, that's he, what he, he didn't believes. Finish. It's what he believes is going to happen. The guy also, Oliveira's yeah. never fought in championship rounds. 
He's never fought um, a fourth round. No, you're. I think I think you're right about that. Yeah, he's he's. You're right. He's trained for uh, for uh, long fights. Although the Kevin Lee fight, I think, was booked on relatively short notice. So part of the reason maybe he was tired toward the end of that fight. Listen, I don't disagree with you. At these odds, I would pick Poirier. Um, but I think there's some value on on Charles Oliveira. I think he's going to become a bigger favorite over the course of this week. And had he been a plus 150 favorite or above, I probably would have picked him. But, man, I, I think a lot of people are discounting him, and I think a lot of people are overrating the success of, uh, of I think Poirier. I, 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 think you, I mean, I think you have a point, and I, full, I really do respect Charlie Olives. I do. Me too. It's, I, uh... all, all I'm saying is that Poirier is not the uncrowned king that everyone's making him out to be, even if he wins I this fight. That. Right, right. Even if he wins this fight, like, has he truly beaten, like, uh, outside of Max Holloway, has he truly beaten anybody, like, special? Charles Oliveira, I guess, would be that win if, if he's able to beat Charles. Because Charles has a special element to him, but it's weird, man. With the UFC continuing to match up guys like Mahachev and uh, um, Dariush, right, they keep getting these extreme prospects who are the future of this division. They keep having them knock each other off instead of having well, them face Well, I mean, I don't know if guys. that's the case. Like, they've both been around for, I don't know if you can call guys with 10, 12, 15 fights in the yes, UFC Yes, but prospects. have they like, had an opportunity Daniel to Dariush fight? Daniel Dariush has been around for a long time. And Darius, to be fair, got Tony Ferguson after Tony Ferguson was on a losing streak. But outside of that, have either of them had the opportunity to fight anybody that's really entrenched in the top in top of that division? Dan Hooker, I, I, I guess uh, you can make that argument. But clearly Dan Hooker's in a terrible place in his career, way past his prime. Clearly that's the case with Tony Ferguson, right? That's the Those are the only notable people either of them have fought outside of fellow up-and-comers that they should have met at the top rather than fighting on the way up, in my opinion. So I, I do think there's still this divide still exists, this weird dynamic at in this weight division. And we have, in my opinion, Charles Oliveira is part of the new generation. In my opinion, he's uh, there along with guys like Faziev, who, like, yeah, he's 10, 11 years into his UFC career. He started when he was, like, 20, 21 years old, Nick. Like, He's 31 years old now, 32 uh, as as of now. He recently had a birthday. And, it's, so, and, his, and his body looks great. I mean, he really looked yeah. like a boy when he started compared to now. Like, he's filled out. He, he really he, did. Lo- he looks fantastic. Like, and he's he matured quite a bit, right? Like, what will that do for his mental frame? Look, I've seen people quit before. I believe they can quit again. And, I, you know, I, that was part of what had me pick Jose Aldo with confidence last week. But... Um, I, I, have, I have a lot less confidence in this than most MMA analysts and experts do. I, I think Char- Chuck Hallis is extremely dangerous. I think he has a decent shot of, of finishing it in the first 10 minutes and uh, I think a bigger shot than he gets credit for. Uh, but Nick, let's let, let's go to the next pick. Otherwise, we will keep talking about this fantastic matchup forever. Um, my next pick, I'm going to take... See, this is where it gets really tough for me. I, I think I'm going to have to take in the Pedro Munoz-Dominic Cruz matchup... Um, it's interesting, right? Pedro Munoz is generally a pressure fighter. He's recently been changing his style to be more defensively aware, um, to be to, to be more uh, to be more, I guess more just using his brain rather than just ramming his head into his opponent's offense, which is which is a decent sign. But I think like these are the wrong matchups for him to be experimenting with that in. Uh, against guys like Jose Aldo, against guys like Dominic Cruz. I'm concerned about Pedro Munoz's leg kicks as Cruz kind of circles out. But any aggressive moments that Munoz has, Cruz is going to take advantage of. He's going to evade most of Munoz's offense, and he's going to come back with his own offense. The leg kicks are a big worry for me. I think that could be the way for Pedro Munoz to win this fight, is if he stays consistent with leg kicks as, as Cruz circles in a direction, that he meets him with a leg kick from that direction. So if Cruz is circling to his own left, um, for him to catch a kick from from his left side, from Munoz's right side, that would be the way to kind of cut him off. But Munoz is not great at cutting off the cage. He doesn't throw enough feints, although he's been better at that lately. His head movement is still not fantastic. 
fantastic, right? Jose Aldo was able to just tee off on him, like, like just nonstop tee off on him like a Pez dispenser in their matchup. Um, and I get that that's Jose Aldo, and I get that Dominic Cruz is not uh, the same fighter, but super crafty man, super skilled. Uh, I, I got Dominic Cruz to beat uh, Pedro Munoz. I think any guy that's going to keep his head in the center line and come in at Cruz aggressively, Cruz is going to do well against. Um, again, those leg kicks, though, do give me some concern. Yeah, I've got the same pick. It's uh, Dominic Cruz. Is so, Pedro Munoz is someone who likes to brawl. And and the bra- and brawls suit him. And Dominic Cruz is one of the best guys ever at staying out of brawls and keeping things technical and exploiting the weaknesses. He's a real matador. He always has been. And I don't see um, I I don't see uh, Munoz uh, goring uh, the former bantamweight champ. So yeah. I'm with I'm with you 100. Um, percent I'm gonna go with uh, Cody at 125 over Kaikara France. Tell me um, why. I like Kaikara France. He's he's a tough dude. I have, I'm just I'm betting that Garbrandt's power is going to carry over, and France gets buzzed in almost all of his fights. Um, sometimes knocked down. I feel I don't want to say it's a favorable matchup necessarily, but there were a lot of there were a lot harder fights at 125 for Garbrandt uh, to get, and this has been given a, a premier placement. If his if his durability is generally the same and his power carries over. I think uh, I think Garbrandt should be able to uh, to close to close the door uh, and become a potential contender for Moreno. I, I feel like this is a bit the Kaikar France is being set up a bit as as an opponent, um, and he's a, again he's a good he's a good fighter. I just uh, I just don't think um, I don't think that he's got quite the pop that that uh, that Cody has. Lots of I mean lots of questions, lots of unknowns about. Cody's chin and Cody's power at this weight class, um, but I think he's I think he's going to be able to land a shot. I'm betting he's going to be able to land a shot. Yeah, Garbrandt is coming down from 135 to flyweight for the first time, right? And like I wonder, after losing that lopsided decision to Rob Font, and who's a huge bantamweight, right? So I wonder like how he's going to look on the scale. I think that's going to be kind of a, a big factor with France coming off a big win, uh, knockout win over Bontarin, who's a really legit flyweight, right? Like. Momentum-wise, France certainly has it in his favor, right? Cody will be the faster man with more power in his hands. I have no doubt about that. Like, I think his power will certainly transfer over because his power is largely because of his speed. France is more durable, I would say. Um, Cody, like, survived against Rob Font, but it's because he was, like, backing up the entire time. As soon as he took a couple of clean shots, he was like, I want nothing to do with this, and was just running the entire time. He had no uh, intention of engaging. Cody looked like he was afraid uh, essentially to engage late with Rob Font, right? So Cody will have a four-inch uh, height advantage, even though France has a one-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. It's weird with Cody. Like, he's basically a flyweight, but he has a super long neck. Like, I think they're actually the same height to their chest, to their collarbone neck, but Cody just has this insane neck that he, like, tattooed up because that's the biggest surface area on his fucking body. Um, France is 5'4", so there's a big uh, size difference there, right? Cody has low fight IQ a lot of the time, like brawling with TJ Dillashaw and Pedro Munoz and the way he fought Rob Font in that last fight. I'm picking Cody, but France seems to be sitting down on his punches more. You could clip Cody, man, especially with Cody cutting down. We saw that with TJ Dillashaw, right? Um, I, I don't know if uh, the team alpha male strategy is always to uh, EPO on your way down to 125, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that Cody comes in durable enough to take some of those shots. Uh, I, I'm gonna pick Cody for the speed and power advantage, but wouldn't be terribly shocked if France uh, puts it all together in this matchup against the biggest one of his career. My next pick is going to be 
And I do think things have uh, suddenly gotten a lot harder with all the picks that we have left. I guess I'm gonna. Uh, I guess I'm gonna take Josh Emmett to beat Dan Ige. I think Emmett is going to be more athletic. I think he's going to be faster in this matchup. He should, on paper, have the wrestling advantage, right? And Ige, we've seen him struggle against guys with either a technique or power advantage standing we've seen, uh, who who are hard to take down. And Emmett should be that. I'm concerned that Emmett is 36 and coming off of, I think, a year, year and a half layoff. Um, I assume it's injuries. Uh, so I, I'm concerned about potential. It's, I believe uh, it was shoulder surgery. It was, right? Like, that, that's concerning. I wonder which arm it was. I wonder if he's able to throw with the same ferocity as he as he's known for. Uh, but I, I'm going to edge Emmett. I, I've underestimated Ige so many times. I'm dreading this pick, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Josh Emmett to beat Danny Gay. Yeah, I struggle with this one also. I, um, I like both guys. I mean, they both hit hard. Um, I think, I mean, Emmett's been knocked out. I don't know that we've seen Ige get knocked out. Um, but... I mean, yeah, big question mark, but I also I also had Emmett. Cool. Um, but yeah, I really don't know. This is a this is one of those like fight fan fights, um, or hardcore hardcore fights, uh, hardcore fan fights on the card. Agree. Um, what you got next? My next, I think is this is this going to be an? I have to see. If this is going to be an underdog pick that I'm making here. Uh, it's about it's about a pick 'em, but I think a lot of people are picking Tai Tuivasa, who I like to beat Augusto Sakai, and like I just. I don't feel like Tuivasa has had much success against uh, the more the more technical uh, kickboxer strikers who are good at, who are who are good at keeping distance. I question like Sakai's uh, heart and stuff, but over three rounds, I feel like he should be able to win, like be effective in the clinch, throw knees up the middle, um, stay at kicking range, and do some damage uh, to the legs and to the body. I think if if Sakai I think Tuivasa is going to be looking for a kill shot, and that Sakai has the ability um, to avoid that. And although he's tough, I don't think Tuivasa has quite uh, quite the bombs of Jarzinho Rosenstrike, um, where it's like you know kind of close to Nganu, where the touch touch you and it's over. Um, so I think this is a big. I don't think people are acknowledging what a big step up in competition this is for Tuivasa from the Greg Hardys of the world. Um, and I think Sakai may surprise a lot of people if he doesn't and, and Tuivasa wins this fight Sakai is probably not very long for the UFC and just hasn't was doesn't have the heart and wasn't able to put it together because I think this is a very winnable uh, fight for him yeah it's tricky Sakai who I think had four wins straight in the UFC before losing his last two bouts to Rosenstrike and Overeem like losing to Overeem is a bit concerning um but it was a five-round fight he has no five-round experience and he basically got exhausted toward the latter half of the fight so Sakai has like that high output style, not very fast. He's not super athletic, but he's pretty relentless for the most part. Um, he, he just kind of like likes to come forward with pitter patter and then wait for a counter opportunity. But again, compared to Tuivasa, he almost moves in slow motion. Tai has extreme power. He's extremely athletic considering especially his build. Um, I, I think he hits harder than Sakai by a good margin. And Sakai coming off of two losses, I could see the confidence waning. I think really a lot of this depends to me on how Taito Vasa was able to prepare. It sounds like things are really rough in Australia right now as far as COVID lockdowns and all that, right? So was he able to actually get the work in? Was he actually able to properly train for this matchup? If he was, I think he beat Sakai um, because of, partially because of the momentum uh, kind of directions that each of their careers are going in, uh, because of the speed, the power advantage. If he gets tired after that first round, which we've seen him do in the past before he kind of uh, saw what high-level training really is like at AKA, if he gets tired, man, it could be a lot of trouble. I, I, I'm going to pick 
Tuivasa, assuming that he had got a chance to have a proper training camp, but there's absolutely no guarantee of that. There's a good chance he shows up out of shape because of circumstances outside of his control, and uh, there's a good chance you're right. But I do officially disagree with you on this one. My next pick is going to be... Um, I'm probably going to regret this. I'm going to take Andre Muniz to beat Eric Anders. Anders is... He kind of moves in slow motion. I know he took this on short notice. I'm not sure how short a notice, uh, but Andre Muniz coming off of you know, uh, three straight UFC wins, uh, a submission win over uh, uh, Jacare Souza, right? Like, I had the other guy picked in both of his last two fights. I actually picked Fabinski over. Oh, no, you know what? I feel like I may have picked Fabinski over him, despite the fact that I really like Muniz a lot. High-level submission game. He hits pretty hard. Um, chin can be a little bit of a, of a concern. The thing about Andrews is that he's fighting at uh, training at fight ready. I know he's prepared. I know he's in shape. So there's a serious risk in this matchup because Anders has on paper the skills to keep this on the feet and, and outstrike him. But I'm going to pick Andre uh, Muniz to pick up another big win here. Yeah, I had, this, I had the same pick there. Um, in a fight of female prospects, I'm, and this is good. This should be a really good fight. It could be a sleeper uh, for fight of the night. We'll see. But I, I like Miranda Maverick, who got jo- who I think got jobbed in the Macy Barber fight out of the decision and should still be undefeated. Um, you know, she fought Barber after she uh, won a pretty good fight against Jillian Robertson. I feel like she's getting like much, much better and savvier every day. Uh, I'm going to take her over um, the seven and I think seven and one uh, Aaron Blanchfield, who just had that defeat uh, in Invicta to Tracy Cortez. But she only has one fight in the UFC against against Sarah Alper. Um, who's not, you know, kind of like not really UFC, I don't think like a UFC level uh, fighter. And I just think Maverick's got more experience, more skills, a little behind on the reach in this fight. But I just think coming off of that Barber loss, she's going to, I think she's going to be a fucking monster in this fight, in this bout. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I think Aaron Blanchfield is a really talented like pressure fighter. She has the offensive wrestling to give Miranda Maverick fits. Maverick seems to consistently lose at least one round by just getting taken down and held down. And I could see Brand uh, Blanchfield pulling that off for a couple of rounds straight. Um, I, I guess I'll edge Miranda Maverick too ever so slightly, but Aaron Branchfield is a legit prospect. I'm excited about her, but you're right. We haven't seen her against the level of competition, at least in the UFC to conclude that she's ready for a Maverick level, who, you know, is seen largely as a prospect with some pretty high potential, despite, uh, you know, I think offensively Maverick is just really talented and defensively she's not the best is what I would say. Overall, striking offensively solid, wrestling offensively solid, grappling offensively. Defensively, she has some holes in all of those categories, but not the kind of holes that would lead her for her to get finished. And I agree with you, she uh, probably deserved that last matchup that she lost a close decision to, um, who was it? Macy Barber. Macy Barber, that's right. And then we have uh, Randy Costa versus Tony Kelly. Basically, Tony Kelly, who is just has just nonstop conditioning. Um, he he's actually dating Andrea Lee. Is that her name? Is that Andrea Lee? Yeah, yeah. He's dating Andrea Lee, and I think he's part of the reason, like them being together and and him kind of putting the conditioning work in with her, is why she looks so good in that last matchup. Um, I'm gonna take. Uh, here's the thing: Tony Kelly, super high up, but great conditioning. But he's very hittable early, and Randy Costa is extremely dangerous early, man. That first six or seven minutes against Randy Costa is a frightening place to be, man. Everything he throws is with extreme power. So I guess I'm going to edge Randy Costa to potentially finish him. But if that doesn't happen in the first uh, few minutes of this fight, Tony Kelly's going to take over, man. Uh, low confidence in this yeah. one, but I've got Randy Costa. I was, yeah, I was picking Tony Kelly. Um, you were picking Tony Kelly? Um, I was, yeah. yeah so you figured that he would take over fight. late, right? Is this wait? This next one is a real pick, or wait seven seven now, and this is just extra. I is there another fight left? 
Yeah, Jillian, Jillian Robertson against Priscilla, Priscilla Cachoeira. That's so weird. Why is it not on my list? Um, yeah, I guess. Wait, did it get, wait, did it get, that, did it get and, canceled? And, and, and uh, let me let me quickly look because if that's the case, it was I'd there ra- this morning. Rather, let me see. I think nope, right. you, no shit. No, you you cannot backtrack if you didn't have your shit yes, together, I can. You what are you talking about? I'm, you I'm cannot. Taking, I'm taking Jillian Robertson. F that. <laughs> uh, hold on. So this is instead of. Randy, um, I mean it's whatever. They're, they're I'll t- I'll take Jillian Robertson over over Randy Costa. Uh, yeah, I'll take Jillian Robertson. Right, let's fine. let's the let's let the Costa Kelly fight be kind of the uh, the the odd breaker. Now, don't get me wrong. If you had a next pick, then I couldn't backtrack. That's totally fair. But this is like an extra pick, man. Why not? So that's gonna be your my ability. To, your ability. Your ability to do the proper research should should cost you. I don't you know. Started why, the fight as Dominic Cruz. You're ending it as DC. <laughs> that's funny well you know naturally the lower level uh fights on the card this being the first fight on the card on paper right not exactly getting the same level of attention as as the well, upper level fights which i guess is somewhat dc like isn't it so we did a recap stand and a 15 fight card and we came in right at an hour that's pretty good nick i i think that is as impressive as it gets especially nick like we don't have a producer uh, going in our ear and being like, you motherfuckers need to hurry up and get past this last week's main event. We got to break down next week's card. We don't have a producer running stuff in it because uh, it's just you and me putting it together, basically in our grandmother's basement. Um, and uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, and our dozens and dozens think so too. The um, dozens, Nick, coming the dozens up, and dozens of the MMA geeks. There's another. There's a card next fans. week that I somehow didn't even know about. It's we got Derek Lewis, Chris Dawkins. Wonder Boy against Bilal Muhammad, Rafael Asuncao against Ricky Simone, Daryl Elkins against Cub Swanson, Amanda Limos, Angela Hill. Action fights there. Diego Fajaya against Matus Gamrot. Um, you got uh, Josh Prezian on the card. Whatever. Um, <laughs> is that actually? Uh, um, is that actually next week? Yeah, twelve eighteen. Um, listen, Louis Louis Dalkus. I had no idea this was coming. Where the fuck did this come from? Did you know this matchup was made, Nick? That's great, man. I love it. Uh, Thompson Muhammad. I had no, I had no idea. Matchup. I had no idea either. Yeah, um, yeah. Sunsau, Ricky, Ricky Simone. I'm in, dude. I'm, I'm into. We got are some great matchups. And the curtain. Amanda Lemos, Angela Hill, Nick. Yes. Wait, but get this. In a surprise, yeah. the curtain jerker on the prelims, Honey Barcelos fighting a guy named Victor Henry that I've never heard of before. Honey Barcelos is coming um, off his first UFC loss. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised the UFC is. Yeah, but it was a, one. but it. But it was a uh, against Timur Valiev. Yeah, it was no close, joke, right. and it was a split. It was a split decision. Although, uh, if I remember um, correctly, I, I thought Valiev clearly won that fight, which I was surprised about because I, I, you know, I, I, I really respect Barcelos. I think he's very legit. But why, but yeah, but why is he? He's, jer- he's jerking the curtain, fighting I mean, a guy. They're who's, giving him who's a gimme. Fought, who's fought in three different, three different divisions. He's thirty-four though. Like, I, come on, I just, I don't know. It's they're they're, like, they're giving Barcelos a, a gimme, and, and I guess I kind of get them not like. Not putting him at the top of the card with that. He's a hardcore fans guy. If you got Raquel Pennington, Macy Chase on as of this moment listed as potentially like the second part of the card, that's it. like it's a pretty stacked card, Nick. Like there's some. All right, maybe I, you know what? Maybe I should have knocked this guy. He won a split decision against Kyler Phillips a couple years ago, and he he's coached by Josh Barnett. Uh, so he lost. He lost. In, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh,